Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Amen. Thank y'all so much. Thank you so much for entering into worship. Y'all sound good today, man. Y'all do. Thank you so much. Back in 1988, uh, the Nike company started their, uh, their slogan, their advertising slogan. So when you think of Nike, what are the words that come to your mind? Just do it. Just do it. That's, that's kind of their... It's kind of their deal, but a long time before 1988, in fact, um, in A.D. about 45, (laughs) um, 1,900-plus years before Nike was ever even uh, thought about, uh, James wrote basically saying, just do it. (laughs) He said it. Just do it. He wasn't talking about athletic footwear and talking about athletic apparel or sports equipment, uh, James was talking about living the Christian life. And so in AD 45, when he wrote this letter, he basically said, just do it, just do it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're a guest today, maybe first time you've been here or hadn't been here in a while, a few weeks ago we started this sermon series out of this New Testament book of James. And the title of the sermon series you see there is Faith That Works. And so we've been kind of walking through this. We're just kind of first in, in the first chapter, so you're not too far behind. First, uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 is where we're going to be, 19 through 27. So if you grab your Bibles and open up to James 1, 19 through 27, I hope you got your Bible with you. Get it on your phone, or um, if you don't, just hang on, listen as we read this scripture. James 1, 19 through 25. So would you stand, please, and let's read this passage together. The public reading of Scripture is such an important part of corporate worship. Uh, So James writes here in verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, and I will say sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. May God bless the reading of this awesome passage of Scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. So help us now, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit who is present with us and in us to hear from you today and to respond in obedience because, Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. I just get the privilege to be the mouthpiece that you want to deliver this message today. Thank you so much. Blown away that you let me do this today. 
but teach us today and help us to respond in obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. Francis Chan uh, did a Bible study here on um, the book of James. Great, great Bible study on Right Now Media. And uh, Francis Chan said this about this passage of Scripture. He said, this may be the most needed passage in the church today. This may be the most needed passage of Scripture in the church today. Man, that's, that's pretty heavy. I think there's some real truth to that, as you'll see when we start unpacking this uh, passage of Scripture here. May be the most needed passage of Scripture in the church today. Uh, so we're, we're going to kind of think of, let that be the, uh, the foundation that we build on today. You know, there's no such thing as, let me listen to this, there's no such thing as unpractical theology. There is no such thing as unpractical theology. What are you talking about, John? Well, let's think about what theology means. Uh, theology shouldn't scare us. It shouldn't say, oh, that's just for people to go to seminary or the seminary professors or pastors and stuff like that. No, theology, all of us here, if you're a Christ follower, we all ought to be concerned about theology. Because listen, let me just break it down real simple for us. Theology is simply thinking about God. I actually had a seminary professor years ago that wrote a book on theology. That, that was the title of the book, Thinking About God. And it, that, So that's what theology in its simplest form really is. Now there's more to it obviously than that. But it, that, that really is what it is. What do you think about God and what do you believe about God? And that is your theology. And, and so there, there is no unpractical theology because nowhere in the Bible will you find teaching about God, which is theology. Nowhere in the Bible will you find teaching about God that does not then translate into some type of practical living out of that theology. So you see what I'm talking about when I say there's no such thing as unpractical theology? Because what you believe about God should translate into you living that thing out. Hopefully you're thinking the right stuff about God. And you've got good theology, solid theology, biblical theology, Christ-centered, Christ-centric theology. And then that translates into how you live out your life in practical, with practical theology. And man, James specializes in practical theology. He, he's, he's just an expert in that, in, in helping his readers, which his original readers, that we'll talk about in just a minute, but helping his readers, and then us, um, um, put our thinking and our belief about God into practice in our everyday lives. So, so let's think about who he was writing to. Now, again, this is a quick review for those that have been here, but uh, go back to verse 1. Uh, review, we're going back to James chapter 1, verse 1. And let's be reminded and remember who he was writing to here. Look at James 1.1. It says, James, a servant of God. Remember, he was the half-brother of Jesus. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who he's writing to, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. The dispersion. Your Bible may say to, say to the tribes that were scattered. But the dispersion. Let me tell you who these people are. Remember that these are the people who were dispersed or scattered all over the known world at that time, all over the Roman world at that time. And that's the people to whom James was writing. 
And, that's, and so when he's telling them, this is how you need to live your life, remember, he's talking to some folks in some tough, tough circumstances. Here's what one writer had to say about these people in the dispersion. He said, those of the, this, so this is who he's writing to. Those of the dispersion were those in captivity. They were in slavery. They had been taken captive. They had been torn away from friends and country. They had suffered all the indignities of a conquered people. They were starving, homesick, the most loathed or hated of all men. Under the heel of a pagan conqueror, it would be natural for them to cry out, Where is God? And James wrote to tell them. He wrote to tell them, Here's God. So that, it starts to make sense. That's why James would write. Remember in James chapter 1, he talked about enduring trials. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. Well, sh man, think about it. He was writing to some people who were right in some of the most intense trials that they'd ever been in in their entire lives, probably more than intense than a, a bunch of us have ever experienced. So sure, it starts to make sense. James says, persevere under trial because he's writing to some people that are in the most difficult trials of their lives. And so remember, he's writing to them about having wisdom. Man, if there's any, you remember he said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives freely and he'll give it freely to you. Well, then remember, you think about these folks, if anybody needed wisdom, it were these people because they were living in, in foreign lands. They didn't know what it was like, the customs of this land and how to conduct themselves and how to conduct business or how to, how could, could they worship God freely? Can, they needed wisdom. So James said, man, if you need wisdom, you ask God. And he talked about temptations. When you endure temptations and you need to know that, that this is what you need to do, you stand the test of time, the, the, uh, the test of the temptations that are coming your way. Because think about it, they were facing those temptations every day. They were in, in foreign lands with foreign customs, with foreign lifestyles, and all kinds of things were being thrown at them. Just like in our day and age, seeing all kinds of craziness in our world, in our society, a society that seems foreign to a whole bunch of us because of all this stuff that's going on in our world these days. And James said, man, you got you got to endure those temptations. But then he also said to remember, he said, every good, in, uh, James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who, who, who does not change. He gives you good gifts. He has saved you. He gives you good gifts. Because, man, if anybody needed to be encouraged in that way to know, hey, look, God has not forgotten you. You may feel that way because you're in this crazy place and you've been dispersed all over the place, but God has not forgotten you. He's going to give you every good and perfect gift. He has saved you. He loves you. He's going to provide. So you see, this is, what James, this is why James was writing these people. Because they were in the trials. They were in the temptations. They needed the wisdom. They needed to be reminded that God had saved them, would give them every good and perfect gift. And then right on the heels of that, we come to this extremely clear and practical teaching that he gives in verse 22 where he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So he was saying to those folks right there, no matter where you are, no matter if you're in the most difficult circumstance of your life, don't just listen to what I'm saying. Don't just read these words that I'm writing to you. You do them. 
you put them into practice. And just like the application for this message today is just very clear and very succinct, we need to just do what the Word says. Just do what the Word says. That goes back to the Nike slogan. Just do it. You see, James said that a long time before the people at Nike came up with that and made a whole bunch of money off of it. James has said, man, you just got to do, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, before we go any further, I'm going to issue an invitation. I'm not going to bring Matt back up here and sing a song or anything like that. I'm not going to stand down here in front and let you come down. But I'm going to give you an invitation to make this commitment. In verse 22, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Here is the invitation. The Christian life is the life of action. It's a life of action. And there's a lot of people, if there's ever a, uh, if if it's possible to, to like a Bible verse too much, it seems to me that some people like Psalm 46.10 a little too much. Because Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. And I think some folks just say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be still. I'm just going to be still. Now look, don't get me wrong. There is a place, it is so important in your Christian life, in your walk with the Lord, that you do take some time to just be still. Just to be still. Just to bask in His presence. You know, whether it's in your quiet time, whether it's wherever it may, like, you know, for me, a lot of times for me, it's like, y'all know me being from Cleveland, there's, I, I believe that there's no place on the face of the earth that has more beautiful sunsets than the Mississippi Delta. And man, when I'm coming home from Cleveland sometimes, I've been doing it for years, if I'm coming home at sundown, and I get out past um, um, Shaw, between Shaw and Indianola, or between Indianola and Belzona, and I'm out there, and the fields are just as flat as they can be, and that sunset lasts forever. There have been multiple times I've just pulled over on the side of the road, just get out of my car and just sit on the hood of my truck or my car and just watch the sun go down and just go, God, you are amazing. This is just amazing. The other night, I had all my kids and grandkids at the house like they do all the time. And so they came to the house. We had a birthday party for Reese. And so my kids and grandkids were there. and We were having a good time. And, and, and uh, this, the moon was just beautiful. And so I, I went outside, took my granddaughters outside, and, and uh, got my binoculars out. And I don't have a telescope or anything, but I got some pretty good binoculars. I said, come here, uh, Sailor, come here. I want to show you something. And she's my youngest granddaughter. And so I put the binoculars up, and, I, and she got them focused. And she looked up at the moon, and she just went, Pops! You can see everything. You can just see everything. And, and I just go, God, you're just so awesome. And just take the time to stop and just, just go, God, you're awesome. Because it's in those times that we're still, that we can hear from God. But then the reason that we are still is to hear from God so that we can then do what he's told us to do. And so, it is as important and as true as it is for us to be still before the Lord, and, and, and we've got to do what He tells us to do. It's just as important. 
Because He has given us, and, and this theme runs throughout the whole Bible, that, that God calls His people into a relationship with Him, and then calls them to serve Him and to put their lives into action. I mean, He's called us, He's given us this, this mandate, this mission to do, this mandate to, to be His witnesses wherever we are. His mandate to go and make disciples of all nations in India and in Yazoo City and in, in Hazelhurst and, and in Flora and, and wherever we are to, make, to witness everywhere and make disciples of, of all nations and to baptize them like we did at 8.30, baptize them in the name of the Lord. We've been given a mission to do, We've, a mandate to take care of each other, to love each other in this body of Christ right here we are called to love each other to take care of each other to support and encourage one another to challenge each other to uh, to hold each other accountable to the Word of God we are called to bear each other's burdens and and we're called to glorify God in all that we do, say and do and and so every Christ follower, here's the invitation, <laughs> let me get to it. Every Christ follower in this room and every Christ follower that is watching this service right now needs to make this commitment. Here's the commitment. I will do what the Word of God says for me to do. Period. you got to make that commitment. I, if you know Christ, now if you don't know Jesus, you need to get saved today. Come to Christ, be saved today, call out to Him, give your life to Him, surrender your life to Him, be saved today. But if you know Christ, then you absolutely must, not because I'm telling you you have to do this, but because what the Word of God says for you, you must make that commitment that I will do what the Word of God says for me to do. And for you to say, no, I'm not going to make that commitment means that you probably don't know Jesus and you need to get saved. For you to say, no, I'm not going to do what the Word of God says for me. I don't care what the Word of God, I've had people tell me that. I don't care what the Word of God says for me to do. Well, then that's a good indication that you probably don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because when we are called into relationship with Him, we are then called to go and do what He has told us to do. And the James makes that abundantly clear that that's what we need to do. So I challenge you, before I go to these next points of this sermon, to make that commitment before we go any further. Because if you don't, then the rest of this sermon won't make any difference to you whatsoever. So just in your heart, will you make that commitment right now? I will do what the Word of God says for me to do. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm not asking you to sign a card or anything like that. But just in your heart right now, I will do what the Word of God says for me to do. James gets pretty practical here. It starts telling some ways that we can do that. Now, it's not an exhaustive list, but then in this passage that we're looking at today, we see some things that we must do. If you make that commitment, I will do. Well, all right, well, here's some things you must do. I must do, too. First of all, you've got to control your anger. Control your anger. Go back to verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Man, James just gets practical. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to do what the Word of God says to do, here we go. Clear your ears, close your mouth, and control your anger. That's it. We, you know, the world is full of some angry people. We are some mad people. Up in the church, too. We got angry people in the church. We are some angry, angry 
people, the world, our society, our churches are filled with people venting their anger. And they think they have a right to do that. (laughs) I have a right to do this. And so what you end up seeing is you see parents getting tossed from their kids' t-ball games. Or you see them fighting in the stands right in the middle of the, on the pitcher's mound, rolling around in dirt, fighting with each other while the kid's standing on the baseline crying their eyeballs out because mom and dad are out there acting like complete idiots. Or, or you see, you see uh, I've heard of church business meetings. Praise God, have never been a part of one in 40 years of ministry. But I've heard of church business meetings that would just degenerate into angry exchanges between people in the church that are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. I even know of a pastor who actually got punched by a deacon in a deacon's meeting. So if any of you deacons are getting any ideas, I'm getting my concealed carry license right now. I'm just letting y'all know that. Uh, I actually know of a pastor who got punched by, deacons in a, by a deacon in a deacon's meeting. Deacons that have invited, invited another one out into the parking lot after this meeting. So we're going to settle this out in the parking lot. You gonna, you gonna show that one to me? You're gonna show that one to me before you do it, right? We some angry people. Angry, angry people. So many people on edge. Everybody wants to be heard these days, and everybody thinks that they should be heard these days. And yet the clear teaching of the Word of God is that we need to open up our ears where we can listen to each other and then close our mouths and control our anger. You must do that if you're a child of God. It's just what we must do because that is what glorifies our God. Our God, Because verse 20 says, if you don't do that, then you are not producing the righteousness of God in your life. And what that means is if you don't control that anger then the people out there in the world who are watching you because they know you're sitting at First Baptist floor today and they know that you call yourself a Christian and they're watching you and they're going to be able to determine, oh, that's how a Christian conducts themselves. That's how a Christian controls their anger. I see that now. Because you're producing the righteousness of God in your life when you're controlling your anger. When you're not controlling your anger, you are not producing the righteousness of God. And the world goes, oh, okay, I see. (laughs) Just like I thought. Just like I thought. They say all that stuff, but they don't live it. So if you're going to make that commitment, I will do what the Word of God says, then you've got you to do what the Word of God says and control your anger. Recently, God gave me Psalm 4-4. Saved my life. This verse saved my life. Psalm 4-4. says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. Keep your old mouth shut, John. Control your anger. Secondly, cultivate purity. Cultivate purity. Look at what he says in verse 21 there. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put, and, then, and then look at the last part of verse 27. Last part of verse 27. Flip over there. Keep yourself unstained from the world. So you just, James, again, James follows up this teaching on on controlling your anger with this thing of cultivating purity. Just cultivate purity. Just clean your life up. Clean your life up. I'm not going to delineate for you what is what all those 
uh, all those things are that are filthy and rampant wickedness. I'm not, you know what they are. You know what they are in your life. I know what they are in my life, so get them out of your life. Clean your life up. Get the junk out. Get the junk out. It, 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 the words filthiness and wickedness, they mean moral impurity, sordidness, malice, badness, depravity. It's just the junk that simply should not be a part of our lives. It should not be a part of life. So get it out and keep yourself, as James says, keep yourself unstained by the world. In other words, cultivate purity in your life. Live a life of purity, a life of holiness that brings honor and glory to God. That is what we must do. If you made the commitment at the beginning, I will do what the Word of, the, I will do what the word of God says I must do. Then you're going to control your anger and you're going to cultivate purity. What else are you going to do? Well, you're going to master your mouth. You're going to master your mouth. I always see people grinning when I say that one or hear people chuckling when I say that one. You're going to master your mouth. He's already said it in verse 19 where he said, be quick to hear, slow to speak. And then if you look over at 26, look at what he says there in verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and he does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It says to bridle your tongue. A lot of you have horses. And you know that the main purpose of that bridle is control. It's just an instrument of control. It controls the horse's head. It controls the horse's speed. It controls the horse's direction. It is all about control. And so that's what James is saying here. He said, if you're, you're, you got to control that thing. You have to control your tongue. You have to control your mouth. Whether it is because I'm telling you, and I'm going to preach more on this later, a whole sermon on this, because James makes a big, big deal. This At least three times in this small book, he talks about your mouth. Because an uncontrolled mouth, an uncontrolled tongue, whether it is uncontrolled in anger, you, just, you get so angry that you just you can't control your mouth, and you just fly off the handle and you scream and holler and shout and say things or whether it's controlled in cursing or gossiping or slandering or verbal abuse or hurtful words or selfishness or or berating or degrading words an uncontrolled tongue is one of the most destructive forces in a Christian's life and it's got to stop it has to stop James says there, he says, you might think you're religious. You might think you're religious. If anyone thinks he's religious, because you're sitting in church today, and you look good, and you smell good, and you're acting right, you're acting good right now, so you think you're religious. And James says, if you think you're religious, but you're not controlling your tongue, then you are not. You are deceiving yourself. You just, you're just not. A religious person and I say religious in the way James means it, and that's a person because you know the word religion has gotten fallen kind of into bad you know it's not about religion it's about relationships I understand all that said but James talking about when you are a religious person you living for the Lord you say that but if you're not controlling your mouth you are not you're just not so you have to you have to master your mouth there's no excuse for not doing that See, I told you you got to make that commitment at the beginning. I will do what the Word of God says for me to do. 
you got to make that commitment because after, once you make that commitment, you start looking, oh, that means I've got to control my anger. That means I've got to cultivate purity in my life. That means I've got to master my mouth. And finally, it means I've got to minister to those who are in need. I've got to minister to those in need. He said that in verse 27 there. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, that you're going to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep yourself unstained by the world. So James just says, one, thing, one more thing that we've got to do is we've got to minister to those people who are in need. And he gets real specific here. He gets specific in naming two groups of people, widows and orphans. Widows and orphans. Now, Vicky is an orphan. Both of her mom and father are gone, passed away. I'm not an orphan. I still got my mama. But she's an orphan. So she's in this category. There are people in this room that are in the category of being a widow. They have lost their spouse. Or a widower. And they've lost their spouse. And so James is saying, look, there's two, there's two groups of people that you need to really, in the church, pay close attention to. And these are people that are in tremendous grief. And even some of them right now, when I said they're widow, they felt tears well up in the corner of their eyes. And, and, they're, and they got a little lump in their throat right then. And their heart flipped a beat. And they got a little uh, empty feeling in the pit of their stomach because now they're thinking about the person that they lost. And they're people that need grief. They're people who've experienced tremendous loss and traumatic grief, and they desperately need the ministry of the body of Christ to them, not just the preacher and the staff. But brothers and sisters in Christ that will look around this room right now and know that there are people that fit both of those categories and people that are in those categories and people that are in tremendous need right now, and you need to be the one to pick up the phone this week and give them a call. Hey, can I come drink a cup of coffee with you? Why don't you come over to the house and have supper with me? Why don't we meet for lunch this week? Hey, I just want to call and tell you you were on my mind today. Can I have a quick word of prayer with you before we... I just was thinking about you today. Can I do that? Oh, you mean that's what you're talking... Yeah! And that's what James is saying. said, if you are going to do what the Word of God says do, then take care of those people in the church. Take care of them. Do that. Take care of them. Who in this room needs for you to reach out to them this week? I will do what the Word of God says for me to do. And what about the half a million kids that are in foster care right now around the United States of America? Some of y'all have got a big old house with a bunch of empty rooms, and you could take a foster kid into your house and minister to that orphan. And what about the millions and millions and millions of orphans and widows all around the world in war-torn countries and poverty-stricken nations all around the world? What can we do for them? Minister to those who are in need. All right, so let me wrap this thing up. Go back to verse 22. Go back to verse 22 and let's wrap it up. But be doers of the word, not hearers only. Satan is thrilled when a bunch of believers pack a room like this CLC right now and that sanctuary over there and they pack a room out to come hear a sermon and then they don't do anything with the sermon. They're, Satan is thrilled when you do that. You want to make Satan happy? You didn't even know you were. But to listen to a sermon week after week after week and not do anything about it, you are doing the work of Satan. You are doing the work of Satan. You know, people walk out sometimes and, you know, 8.30, this sir, come up, shake my hand, give me a hug, say, man, that was a good sermon today, preacher. Good sermon. I appreciate that. I'm not fishing for compliments. I promise I'm not. But, you know, people say, that's a good sermon today. I appreciate that. But what some of them, are, a, lot, a lot of them are saying is that that was a good sermon. I ain't going to do anything with it. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything with it. But it was a good sermon. Uh, 
Or like a girl told me last week in Tuscaloosa in that revival, that was a good talk today. Why don't you call it a talk? If you're not going to do anything with it, don't call it a sermon. Just say it was a good motivational speech. I'm not going to be motivated to do anything. And when you do that, when we do that, you think you've accomplished something. You think you're doing something here in a sermon, but you are deceived. To be doers of the word, not here is only deceiving yourself. You are deceived, and Satan is the great deceiver. So you're doing his work when all you do is listen to a sermon and don't do anything with it. I don't, you don't have to like me. You do not have to like me, but if it's the word of God, you've got to do something with it. You're deceiving. It's like, it's like walking up to the mirror this morning before you came to church and shaving, brushing your teeth, fixing your hair, doing your makeup, whatever you're doing. And you finish up and you turn and walk away from the mirror and you immediately forget what you were just doing and what you just looked like. That's just stupid, isn't it? <laughs> did, you, well, did, I have, did I have toothpaste coming out the corner of my mouth? Did I, you know, did I, did I shave? Did I fix my hair? Did I, you know, did I put my lipstick on? You know, I don't wear lipstick. I wasn't talking about myself. But, uh, you know, uh, and you just walk away and forget what you that's just nothing. That's what James said. That's, that's, that's how foolish it is for somebody to listen to a sermon, listen to the word, and not do anything with it. It's foolish. It's, you know, and some of us say, let me wrap this thing up. Let's get ready with that, that little video. Some of us say that we are blessed. You know, how you doing it? Man, I'm blessed. You hear people say that? I'm blessed. You know what that normally means? That normally means... I ain't sick right now. I got money in the bank. My kids are making good grades. I'm blessed. That has nothing to do with what James is saying. To be blessed, in verse 25, we are blessed not by what we have, but by what we do. A doer who acts, verse 25, he will be blessed in his doing. A doer who acts is blessed. Is blessed. And as we act on the word of God, then we will be blessed. So back to the first question, the first commitment. I will do what the Word of God says for me to do.